I'd like everybody to be seated except somebody with a Crown Victoria NRH94V, somebody with a Chevy van QKB79V, and somebody with a Volvo HJK, question mark, question mark, question mark. Those are, uh, th- you have your lights on. And so you uh, uh, can uh, go out, we'll save you a spot, come on back. So uh, here comes 1996. I don't know how many of you faced monumental changes in 1995. I know that probably more of you did than you realize at this very moment. You know, every morning, the first thing I do in the morning is I, as I get into Scripture and I spend some time with the Lord, and, and this, is, this is my custom, I, I journal, um, and just seeing what God's doing so that I can kind of keep track of a pattern uh, that He's building over my life. And, and this morning, just, it just hit me, I, I, I just said, you know, well, 1995 was a good year, and I started listing some of the things that had happened in my family, uh, transitions that we had gone through, things that had happened in the church, uh, things that had happened to people that I loved uh, in 1995. And I got to the end of that page, and I, my, my world changed in 1995. It was, it was so different just from that one year. And I thought, Lord, if you give this much change in 1996, uh, I, it's just going to be mind-boggling. I would, I would uh, encourage you to do the same. Sit down sometime today, or in the next few days, and go over all of the very significant changes that happened to you or the people that you loved, which affect you, sometimes even more deeply, just in the past year. And you will get some inkling of what you had better get ready for in the coming year. The main thing that we want to do in this pivotal Sunday between 1995 and 1996 is tell you what we're going to be doing in 1996 and why it's going to be necessary. Knowing that all of us are going to be facing huge changes in our personal lives, what we would love to do for all of you who come with regularity in 1996, by the end of this coming year, we would like all of you to have built a systematic theology by which you pretty well know how God acts in the world so that you can gauge what He's doing in your life in accordance with that construct. In other words, we want all of you to become competent theologians. And I will tell you why in this message. As you face huge changes in the future, we want you to know that those are not happening at random. The future does not happen willy-nilly with no pattern, with no design or no plan. God planned from the very beginning for changes to happen, not all of those changes being pleasant, most of them being unpleasant. Because not many of us run toward change. As a matter of fact, in Romans chapter 8, there's a little passage that I call the groaning passage. You will be surprised at how many times they mention the word groaning in this passage. It's because of the huge changes that are coming. And we face them with groaning. We'll just read a little snippet of it. Verse 22. 
For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. In other words, God has been preparing the whole world for this huge change. And for the change that is, that is going to happen. And not only this, but also we ourselves. This gets personal. We ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons and the redemption of our body. For in hope we have been saved. But hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one also hope for what he sees? In other words, there is a necessary element of mystery for what's coming here. There's a reason we don't know what's coming. But if we hope for what we do not see with perseverance, we will wait eagerly for it. And in the same way, the Spirit also helps our weaknesses. For we do not know how to pray as we should. If you don't know what God's going to do in the future, if you don't know what the future is bringing, how do you pray for it? You, you can't pray for it in detail, so we don't even know what to pray for. Look at what it says. But the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings. There's that word again. Too deep for words. And he who searches the minds and hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God. Now don't stop all things to work together for good. There are some who are headed for destruction. And all things don't work together for good in their life. They, they work for their destruction. There are some, th- there are some people just hell-bound. And, 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 and what they're doing in their lives are, is, is just building up more condemnation. But that's not the way with believers. God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God and are called according to His purpose. And you can figure out which category you're in there. Let's talk about the future. Let's talk about building a systematic theology in order to go into the future with a general knowledge, but without a specific knowledge. How do you do that? And why should you do it? It mentions in here that we know that all the creation groans and suffers with the pains of childbirth. Do you remember, women, those of you who have had babies, what it was like to have your first baby? Do you remember what it would have been like if you had no idea what was happening to you? Did you ever think about that? What you had, as it were, were people around you had had babies before. And that was of some knowledge and of huge comfort to you. What many of you had was a medical facility with machines that would give you a general idea of a parameter of what was a normal childbirth. And as long as you were operating within that parameter, no matter how much groaning and no matter how much you didn't know what was happening and how strange it was to you, there was some comfort there. Because you knew you were in what was a fairly uh, predictable construct of life. Now, that does not mean that you yourselves personally didn't groan or that you took uh, all the comfort you needed in just intellectually knowing that this whole thing was going on as per God's instruction. 
Uh, it does not mean. I, I remember uh, when our first baby was born, and uh, and you know, we were so looking forward to this, you know. And uh, you know, a lot of things happen when you you remember everything strange happens to your body when you're pregnant. You get big, you bang into things. You you don't know how to operate this thing. You've never done this deal before. You're all uncoordinated, and strange things happen in, uh, to your to your metabolism, and and uh, so you, you go into this thing. Now this was just right at the front end of. Uh, of when men were going through this with the women, they did You know, before my time, they didn't even go, men didn't go through it. But now we were supposed to count out the seconds and the breathing and the coaching and the whole thing. So we went through the classes, you know. And uh, and uh, now, in in this day, it was a very uh, wonderful uh, ideal to have uh, children all natural. Now, you know, no drugs, no nothing. You know, that was the big popular thing. You know, not with us, boy. Back when Donner said, "This hurts. Give me drugs right now." <laughs> I like that. I, I would have done the I would have said, shoot me. I would have said, forget the drug, just shoot me. But, you know, we, we go wheeling in there. You know, they go, Whoa! you know, I'm trying to keep a low profile, you know, because you don't want to say a whole lot to somebody who's in pain. They just turn on you, you know, like it's, you know, like it's my fault, you know. So... So, this, you know, so I'm trying to keep a low profile, you know. That goes in. Hurts. Give me some. You start saying, "See, give her this little gas mask." She goes, "This isn't working." <laughs> so, now listen. I watched this. I watched this poor girl who I love go through this. Her whole body just just feels like it's coming apart, you know. And we had this nurse. Yes, all World War II, gum chewing, crusty old veteran nurse, you know, going down to the delivery room, you know. You could see she'd, she'd, she'd seen the suffering, you know. She'd been through about a million of these things. And Beck's going, oh, you know, like my body's flying apart. This can't possibly be normal, you know. And she just looked down there and she said, kind of like a parachute jump, honey. Ain't no turning back now. <laughs> well, you know... As we face 1996, that's it. It's kind of like a parachute jump, honey. Uh, whatever's coming's coming. There's no turning back now. And so what we need is someone to tell us when to relax, when to push, you know. Somebody who's some general information about this whole process so that we can cooperate with what God is birthing into our lives. It is very important that all of you develop a systematic theology so that you don't panic. And you don't think what has happened into you is some strange thing. It's, it says in First in Peter, uh, Brethren, don't, don't uh, be surprised by the sufferings that come upon you as, it, as if it were some strange thing happening to you. In other words, this is part of what God is birthing. This is part of the birthing process. Don't get panicked when you, when you get tempted in a certain way. No temptation is overtaking you, but as such as is common to man. But see, you don't know that unless you have some sort of general knowledge of how God's operating in the world and why He's operating like He does. And that calls for a systematic theology. And if you stick with us every weekend this year, we're going to build a systematic theology so that you know how to approach not just your particular situation, but the entire world. You know what Paul had that you don't have? 
Not Jesus Christ. You have Jesus Christ. Not the Holy Spirit. You have the Holy Spirit. Not boldness. Maybe of you, many of you have boldness. What he had was a systematic theology. You look at the book of Acts and how he went to people who were Jews and Gentiles. And he could say, wherever you are, I know where you fit into God's plan. And I can teach you where you fit into God's plan. Because he had that knowledge. You know you can have that too. You can have that too. And let me tell you why systematic theology instead of exegetical theology. Instead of just looking for what the Bible has to say about your life. Or looking what the Bible has to say about the church. There is a tremendous pressure as churches go on for churches to become inward focused and inbred and only be concerned about Christian things. Let me tell you what happens if we give in to that tendency and that pressure. What happens is that we become weird. We, 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 we get big hair and have lace on our Bibles and only can say hallelujah to one another and can't relate to anything that's going on out there. That's the world out there, Reverend. You know, that's the world. We don't deal with the world. We, 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 the same thing happens to the church that happened to the royalty of England that only married each other. We exaggerate our weaknesses and become a little mentally imbalanced. God meant for us to see how He operates in all the world, not just in the church. God meant for us to be able to go out into the secular world and see that He is just as involved out there as He is in here. Let me ask you, where do you think God hangs out six days a week? You, you think He's right here waiting for you to come back? Man, I hope they come back. They really need it. He meets you out there. But let me ask you this. How many of you can see Him better here than you can out there? You know why? Because you haven't built a systematic theology. You don't know what to look for. You don't know how He's involved out there. You, you, you don't know how He's bringing the world to its fruition. When Jesus wanted disciples, where did He go? Did He go to the temple? No. He went to the world. Went to the fishing boats. Went to the tax tables. God is involved in the world. And in order for you to fathom and know where the changes of the world fit into God's plan, you have to build a systematic theology. And besides, even if that weren't the case, even if it weren't for your intellectual understanding, you would still want to be where God is, just to be near Him. You know, one of my, uh, one of my New Year's resolutions, I make New Year's resolutions, you know that? I really do. Uh, I make resolutions every day, but, but it happens to be New Year's, so there happen to be New Year's resolutions. And I hope you do too. I hope every one of you keeps saying over and over again, boy, okay, this is, this is next. This is what I want to do next. This is what I, it's, a great, it's a great thing. One of my New Year's resolutions, and it's going to sound weird, is to learn how to play golf. Learn how to play golf. Now, I've got to tell you how weird that is for me. I hate golf. I hate, it. I hate golf like I hate cats. I do. Both of them make me feel inferior. I, I can't fathom anything more boring in my life than smacking a ball and chasing it around. I, can't, I just can't do it. Golf requires of me two things I don't have. I don't have time, and I haven't got coordination. Now, that's a big problem to a golfer, I think. But I'm going to learn how to play golf. Let me tell you why. 
My oldest son loves golf. He loves it. He started about a year and a half ago. And he, can't, he, did, he gets the golf digest. He watches videos on the thing. Goes out. He's played practically every day since over his college break. Now, if I, as a father, wait for that kid to come to the house and sit down and say, Dad, let's talk. I could be waiting there a long time. Now, we do have family get-togethers, and our, and our conversations are so rich when we just sit around, we're just, we're just talking. I love that. But I want to tell you, because I love my son, I need to be where he is. And I need to be doing what he's doing. So I'm going to learn how to be a duffer. And just at times say, hey, Josh, let's go golfing. If you really want to be with God... <laughs> If you really want to do what he's doing, you'll be out there. You, 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 you'll, be, you'll be cooperating with him. You'll be learning to do what he loves to do. And that is, he has, he's plan, he has plans not only to redeem the church, but to redeem the world. There's not just a new heaven coming, there's a new earth coming. And the whole creation groans in childbirth. So therefore, we need to get out of our little Christian ghetto mentality. These Christians just get together. Oh, this is just getting this holy huddle and just talk Christian things to one another. Well, I do like, I do love to get with other Christians. And I do love to talk about the Lord, the Lord with other Christians. And I don't have anything against big hair and, and lace on your Bibles. Those are part of my family. And I'll defend them till the day I die. I don't want to become one of them. I just defend them. But I want to know. When something happens in the world, how God's involved in that. And I want to see how that's bringing God's plan to fulfillment. Don't you? See, that's how you can face the changes in the world. To build your faith instead of just keep you safe. Those are two different things. Now, the Bible also says that there's something operating here besides an intellectual construct. It says, and we ourselves groan within ourselves. You know, you say, preacher, that's, that's all fine, and I, I'd kind of like to have that, that knowledge too. I'd like to be able to talk with people about the faith and, and know how God constructed the world. And I even get a little intimidated when my kids come up and start asking me questions. The thought of being able to talk to anybody about it, I like that. But I've got to tell you, I'm facing some things in 1996 that I don't know if I'm going to be able to weather the storm. There's some huge changes coming in my life, and I know they're going to be traumatic for me. I know they're going to take resources from me. I'm not sure I have. There's a groaning within me as I look at those things. I don't know if I can do this. What do I do? Well, you know what? In James chapter 4, it says two things. And let me just advise you in two ways. First of all, do the obvious things. If you're going into a huge situation, any situation you go into, any kind of future you go into, you make sure your life is as well in line with God as it can possibly be. It says in James chapter 4, verse 8, Draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. In other words, don't sabotage yourself as you're going into anything. You know there's stuff in your life that's getting in your way. Get it out of your life. You know there's, there's behavior and there is sin and there are ways of thinking that absolutely sabotage your happiness. 
Don't go into the future going, I wonder why I'm unhappy. When you know perfectly well why you're unhappy, you're living out of line with God. You'll never be happy as long as you live out of line with God. Do what's obvious. I, you know, I shouldn't have to say that, but I do have to say it. Because you, you'd be amazed at people who come to me living in situations that are absolute in rebellion with God and then ask me, why am I miserable? Read the cards. You're miserable because you're in rebellion. Okay? That having been said, though, there are many of you who have said, look, I'm doing everything I know how to do. And, I, and I'm still not sure I can face the future. That's where it is so important for you to understand two things. First of all, it is by design that you don't have the resources right now for the future. And it is by design you don't have the directions that you want right now for the future. And let me tell you why. First of all, I want you to know this. That even though you've grown inside, because you have this, this inkling that this is going to be devastating or this, this change is not going to be pleasant, I want you to know that God has already given you in Christ everything you need to not only face the future <clears throat> and not only survive the future, but to prosper in the future. He has plans for you that are good and not evil. Don't forget that. All things work together for you who love the Lord for good. Don't forget that. Do you realize that if you were chosen, listen to this, if you were chosen before the beginning of time, as it says in Ephesians, you were chosen before the foundation of the world, do you think that then God would found a world that would go against you and against your chosenness and work against what God had planned for your life? No. God coordinated the world for you, with you. I don't care what it looks like. Whatever happens in this world is going to be for your prosperity. Don't forget that. Will you have the resources ahead of time? You know, I heard a story once about Donald Gray Barnhouse. He was a he was a uh, old uh, Presbyterian preacher, great theologian, wonderful intellect, wonderful pulpit man. And, and he traveled the, the nation preaching in other churches. And one time he was in Canton, Ohio. He was staying in some hotel there. This is back in the early 30s, I think it was. And, uh, and uh, a porter who, who was carrying his bags up to his room recognized him. And so they talked about the Lord. And this porter was a Christian also. They talked about the Lord all the way up there. They got, finally got to the room. Came time for the tip. And he, he turned to the, turned to the uh, porter and he said, uh, how, you, how you doing financially? And the porter said, well, it's Tuesday and I don't get paid till Friday. And uh, so I'm just living off the tips. And, then, and uh, Barnhouse said, well, how much money you got? Well, he dug in his pockets and he came up with this and he counted it out and it was $1.19. And, uh, and uh, Barnhouse, who didn't have a lot of money himself, pulled out a dollar and he said, I want, I want you to know this is your dollar. And the, and, the, and the porter just started grinning. You know, it was a very generous tip, huge tip back then. And Barnhouse folded up the dollar and put it back in his pocket. The porter looked at him, and Barnhouse looked back and he said, Now how much money do you have? The porter's standing there, he looks down, he goes, Dollar nineteen. Barnhouse looked at him and said, So you think I just lied to you? You you, you think this isn't your dollar? The porter said, No, I, I think it's my dollar. 
Barnhouse said, then how much money do you have? And the porter finally got it, and he looked at him and said, I have $2.19, but a dollar of it is in your pocket. <laughs> you know what? You have all of the resources you need to successfully navigate your future. Some of them just happen to still be in God's pocket. Does that mean He won't give them to you on time? Not at all. It just means you better stick close to Him to where He can give them to you on time, doesn't it? And some of you need to realize that as you look into this future that you don't know what it holds, that you come up so short you don't even know what to pray for. How many of you have situations in your life right now you don't absolutely know what God's will is? Most of you who are mature Christians realize the more you know about God, the more He surprises you way above or beyond whatever you could ask or think, and so you don't know exactly what to pray for. I mean, I know everybody prays specifically, but I pray contingently. God, if this isn't good enough what I'm praying for, give me something better. Give us all something better. I'm real unsure of my prayers. How many of you have people in your life right now that are absolutely killing themselves? I mean, they're sabotaging their own life. And you don't know whether to pray God rescue them or God let them fall flat on their face. Because you don't know whether they need rescue or the pain. You don't know. And so you go, uh, you see, you just groan. You know that's the most wonderful prayer in the world? It really is. Because the Spirit has to pray. You don't know what to pray for. You admit you don't know what to pray for. And you just look up and you go, and the Spirit Himself intercedes and prays. Now, many of you get so frustrated because you come out of those prayers with no directions. How many of you right now are facing something in the future? And you're looking at God and you say, God, you just tell me what to do and I'll do it. And you think that's the most wonderful prayer of obedience that was ever prayed. You think, boy, this boy, if God ever prized the prayer, this will be it. You know? God, I'll do anything you say, you just tell me. You realize what you just said to him? And you say it again and again and again. About the same thing. You know? There's one thing to saying, look, we're walking along here. You want anything from me? Let me know. I'm open. All the time. I'm going to be open. I'm going to be looking for whatever you're trying to communicate to me. It's another thing to say, what should I do? 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 Let me tell you the difference. The only people that need absolute, detailed directions, listen to this, are people who plan on making a journey alone. You hear what I just said? Those are the only people who absolutely need clear, detailed directions. If you're going someplace alone, and you stop at a gas station, and you say, this is for women, men never do this. <clears throat> How do I get someplace? You're going to write that down, and you're going to follow that detail. You know why? Because you've got no other recourse than those directions to get where you're going. But what if you're going with someone who knows the way. What if you just stay near to them? Then you don't need to know. You need to trust. 
You see? If you're going into the future with God, you don't need detailed directions. You don't need all of this ahead of time. You stick close with God, and He'll get you there. Now, He may give some information to you along the way, just because He will. He may tell you some stuff ahead of time, just because He wants to. But it's not that you need it. Because all you need is to stay close to the one who knows where you're going together. And that's what you've got to remember about 1996. It'll be wonderful to have uh, a general knowledge of how God works. But don't feel like you're left out if you don't know the details yet. Don't feel like God doesn't love you if He hasn't told you exactly how to respond or what you're going to do. Now, what He's done is just left the necessity for you to stick very close to Him. Pray with me. God, help us as we try to both build a general understanding of who you are, but even more importantly, understand a general need to to stick close to who you are. Teach us to pray. Teach us to put our life into your hands every day and to trust you every day and not to equip ourselves so that we can proceed without you, but yet to... Uh, come close to you, not only so that we can get where we're going together, but so that we can grow closer to you on the journey. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.